Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about the what Tiffany called in a bonus episode a couple weeks ago, an I was here moment. If you listen to Bittersweet Moment 174 about Tiffany's first weeks living in Rome, she told you a small tale about accidentally bumping her lipstick against the stone of a building she used to live in and how a decade or more later, that lipstick is still there. And you referred <laughs> to it, not even really thinking it through, I'm sure, as an I was here moment. And I loved that. And I was like, we should do a whole show <laughs> on I was here moments and, <laughs> and the drive of human beings to occasionally leave their mark at times in places that they've been. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Brilliant. Good. I'm glad. So the first thing when I was thinking about what I was here moments do I have? And, and as I started thinking about it, I started thinking of more and more. But the first one that popped into my head was on Mercer Island, which is where you and I grew up, which is a suburb of Seattle. Way back, probably in high school, college age, they were building a house on Mercer Island. And a group of friends of mine decided to put together a time capsule. That time capsule included things like newspaper clippings from the day, uh, advertisements for businesses that were on Mercer Island at the time. And wow. a picture of one of my friends, <laughs> just, you know, because I happen to have it laying around. So I'm like, I'll just shove your picture in there. And various other detritus like that, things of the day. And then we went into the house, which was just being framed out, right? And we tucked this little tiny box way up in the rafters where they were going to put like the stucco or whatever, the the walls over over the building, you know, I don't know. You can tell I've never built a, well, I have built a house actually, so I can't say that. You can tell I know nothing about construction. <laughs> so, but, uh, drywall, drywall. drywall, it's called drywall, drywall. That's it. Okay. So we tucked it up where that we didn't think that the people working on the house would actually find it and see it. And they were going wow. to be drywalling over, like you could tell that that was the next stage of what they were right. doing. And so as far as I know, this time capsule is still stuck in that house. Nobody knows that it's there. And maybe it'll never be found. But I do know for a fact that certain businesses that we put advertisements for are no longer in existence anymore. My friend whose picture is in there has passed away. Oh. And so there's all of these things that are sitting in a box in the wall of this person's house. They have no idea that are like basically relics of old Mercer Island, things that do not exist anymore. Sometimes I think about that box just sitting in there. I have no idea exactly which house it is because there was so much construction <sighs> happening. But I do think about that, that that's like an I was here moment. There's a box in a wall somewhere. That's so interesting. I love the idea of like the family, like, you know, maybe it's been sold like three or four times. And one family decides to like, I don't know, make a new wing or something. And they, they tear down part of the wall and they find this thing. And they're like, how in the world did someone, they, and they assume it belonged to like a previous owner, but they're like, how do they get it into the wall? 
And then maybe they see the date and they're like, no, this predates the house. How's that possible? (laughs) I know. And we were trying to get really clever with it at first, I think. And then we kind of realized, well, if people aren't going to find this for ages, we could put in the most common stuff and it will be, it will feel like something special. Put in like, like a cassette tape. <laughs> well, it was you a know? little past and they've that. Been like, what is this? <laughs> it was a little past, past that. that. I mean, I think it probably. I think we probably put the box in there sometime in the mid to late '90s. Would be my guess. So it's been there a while. There were still cassette. Were they? I'm trying to there think. Were, when were, but they weren't like in? the common. They weren't thing of common. The day, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had like mini discs when I was in college mm. to record like my singing on. Yes. Um, because I had a mini disc recorder, and I feel like that is something that existed for such a short period of time (laughs) that if someone today found one, they literally, like a young person, they literally wouldn't know what it was. Whereas everyone knows what a cassette tape is, even if they weren't alive then, you know, they've seen it in a movie or they, you know, Mm -hmm. they know about it, but the mini disc is like, what is this? Yeah. When I started working in radio, the mini disc was the first recorder that I had. It was a mini disc recorder. Oh, really? I still might have it somewhere. I should look around. I definitely have a bunch of mini discs. I don't know if I have the actual recorder that my dad gave me for graduation. Well, someday we should do a show that's like unearthed tape because I have mini discs too. And if we could find a way to play them, then we could find. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lost tape. I, Kate, I, Katie, I have tapes. I have them right down here in my desk. I have cassette tapes that my sister and I taped when we were little girls. Oh, I have those too. I do. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do <laughs> as a, as a, someone who was born to be in radio, but I, you know, we can put them together. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. Yeah. I love that idea. Maybe we'll uh, set that up. So what's an, I was here moment that you have. Well, I mean, you know, the lipstick one now. Yes. That definitely was one, even though I didn't intend for it to be, I'm honestly trying to think of another one. There was that time we put the lock on the Ponte Sisto bridge. Right. Um, yes. You'd have to go back to, oh, way back at the end of season one episode. I want to think goodbye. Yeah, I feel like it. it's number 45-ish or something or something like that. Yeah. 43. Yeah, it was when Katie was, yeah. it was when Katie was leaving Rome after her year abroad. So we thought, we didn't know what was going to happen if the show was going to continue. You know, you were devastated about leaving. I was devastated that you were leaving. And we decided to... Um, to leave a little lock, a la Italian lovers do this with our initials on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we used our our pseudonym initials. Yes, which I know some initials. of you know. Carmen and Veronica. Yes. You did write on the other side, I love you, Tiffany, though. So yeah. anyone who found that might have been a little confused. C plus V, and then on the other side, I love you, Tiffany. But, <laughs> okay, maybe it was a polyamorous relationship, people are thinking. Sure. Uh, and we threw the keys into the Tiber. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't last forever though, as those, those locks, you know, they always get, take it off after a while, but that was one that lasted at least a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I think you said you had something about the Tiber river yes. as well. Yeah. When I was proposing this idea to you. Yeah. Another thing I did once is just in that same vein of trying to leave a piece of yourself behind in Rome. I wrote my initials on a rock that I had found in Italy. So it was an Italian rock did not come from the United <laughs> States. I wrote my initials on it and I threw it into the Tiber River, you know, just during one of my visits. Not too ceremoniously or anything, but just thinking, now there's a rock 
in the middle of the Tiber River that has my name on it. <laughs> you know, leave a piece of me here. Leave a piece of me here. Yeah, I love the like the difference between. I mean, I feel like some people are tempted to take something away. Mm-hmm. It's anybody who buys a souvenir. It's like I'm taking something back with me. Or you could steal something too, which is not as nice. People do try to steal like little bits of you know rock which I guess a piece of a rock is okay. You don't want to take a piece off of the Coliseum though. Right. But like, what is it that that leads someone to want to leave something behind as opposed to taking something away with them? Yeah. It could be a little interesting character study, personality well, study. Yeah. I mean, and it can also, be, as you know, be very destructive. Like that idea, that desire of adding a lock you can't go anywhere now that has like a chain link bridge or something where people haven't stuck locks on it. And in a way you could say, well, isn't that nice? You know, or you could say, this is a basically like a form of graffiti now. Yeah. Yeah. Or the the rock stacking, you know, people do. Mm -hmm. I've heard, I don't know why, but I've heard that it's bad for the environment. Although I don't know the reason behind that, but it's, it was very sort of trendy for a while to do, you know, especially like if you're documenting it for social media to go to the beach and stack rocks up on top of each other. And then somebody somewhere said, actually, that's really bad for, I don't know, something. Um, you think but, it alarms uh, the sea turtles. They're like, what in perhaps. the world? <laughs> <laughs> it's like us with Stonehenge. Oh, we're so creeped out. There's like whole legends going on in the undersea world <laughs> about these mysterious rock formations that have started to appear. <laughs> Little do they know, the benign answer to it is that it's Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Stonehenge, there, there's your biggest example of like wanting to leave something behind. Or perhaps it was for a very practical purpose for them. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But I also threw something into the Tiber once, but something that was biological and going to break down. So nothing that could possibly be still there. But my friend Jenny got married about a year and a half before I did. And uh, at her wedding, she gave me her bouquet. Like she didn't throw it. She Well, she kind of found me because Claudia and I were getting pretty serious at that time. And she sort of found me and she was like, here, I want to throw you my bouquet. Instead of doing the big ceremony and throwing it to all the single women, she just threw it at me. So I would definitely catch it. I thought that was really sweet, but what was interesting was it was her real bouquet. Whereas most brides, including myself, we don't want to lose our bouquet, right? We don't want to, we want to save it for a while. Mm. My mother-in-law threw mine away. I don't want to go there. I, I don't, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not resentful anymore. No, I totally am still resentful, but my mother-in-law threw my bouquet away, but whatever. I did not throw my real bouquet. I threw one of my bridesmaids bouquets because <laughs> uh-huh. um, I wanted to hold on to mine. But my friend Jenny, she threw her real bouquet, which was a very small, simple bouquet of white roses tied with green, olive green ribbon. And so I kept it for a while. I kept it for like a couple months, dried it upside down since it was roses. They, you know, they dry really well. And eventually I thought, you know what, it's time to get rid of this thing. And, but I couldn't bear to throw it in the trash. I'm like, this is my friend's bridal bouquet. Even if it hadn't been a friend, this is a bridal bouquet. You don't just throw it in the trash. Like my mother-in-law did. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, I told you I'm not going to go there. (laughs) So, and it was also the bouquet that I caught uh, technically caught. So I took it to the Tiber river. I took the ribbons off of it and the little 
pearl headed pins and I saved the ribbon and I still have it somewhere. And I threw the bouquet into the Tiber. That's which lovely. I thought that had to be something ceremonious. I don't think my friend ever knew that. I don't think I ever told her. Yes. But uh, I can honestly not think of anything else that I at least knowingly left behind to sort of say that I'd been there. I was brought up not to do graffiti, uh-huh. <laughs> as I'm sure you were. Although I did scratch my name. I've talked about this on the show. I scratched my name onto the wooden windowsill of a ranch in Wyoming when I was five years old. And it was the very first thing that I ever remember doing that I knew was wrong when I was doing it. Mm. And it was my first experience with guilt. (laughs) And oh man, I felt so guilty. Um, Hard to deny that my, too, because you know. Yeah, this is my own name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my parents had just split up, so I was going through some stuff. But, um, but beyond that, I don't think so. Well, I know me and my sisters wrote, carved. I can't remember exactly what we did. Something onto a bridge that was in um, New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, because that's where my grandparents and my father grew up. And we were there as three sisters once, and I don't know why we did it or what, but we were like, let's leave our names here. I think it's just initials or something like that. But I believe that we went back to check the next time we were there and we couldn't find it anymore. So maybe it got obliterated or something, washed away if it was pen. And I mean, I think there's like accidental I was here things like uh, somewhere in this show back in the past, I told you about taking a uh, Mr. Potato Head out into the middle of the jungle in Vietnam to a kindergarten class, uh, a place so remote that we had to cross a bamboo bridge to get to, and they had not seen um, uh, white people possibly ever. I'm not sure if I got that impression. Here I had this Mr. Potato Head, which now exists deep in the jungle of Vietnam, which, you know, is probably not the best thing to have like out in the middle of a remote village but they have a Mr. Potato Head and in a way I guess I have to fess up to the uh, I was here of that moment <laughs> but what I was <laughs> but I was thinking of in in this topic as a bigger thing how this is not unique to us as humans today to like leave a mark or make some sort of notation that you were passing through and the one in Rome I know the most vividly is the graffiti that's inside the Villa Farnesina. But you know more about the history of that. Do you know like Roman instances of people doing the same thing, like leaving their mark? And Well, people in Rome have left graffiti for ages. I mean, you can find graffiti all over the city. And in fact, I found a graffito. In fact, it's an Italian word. Uh, I found one that says Aurelius. I took a picture of it. You know where it is? It's in Santa Cecilia in Trastevere, but it's like a a stone that was taken from somewhere else Mm. and put there. I don't think there was a date on it though, but you could tell it was like an ancient graffito, not like a a Renaissance era or even a medieval thing. It had to have been ancient, especially because like the name Aurelius, who had that name? It had to be in ancient Rome. But yes, there there are a series of particular graffiti that you can find in Villa Farnesina and also in the Vatican Museums. Hmm. and possibly other places in Rome that are all the work of soldiers 
who came to Rome and sacked it in 1527. I'm pretty sure it's 1527. I should double check. The sack of Rome in 1527. Yeah, it's got to be 1527. It's a horrific, horrific chapter in the history of a city that's already pretty bloody. But the sack of Rome was horrendous. Uh, The nutshell version, without going into too much history, combined forces of the Holy Roman Emperor and German mercenary soldiers who were Lutheran. So you have the Holy Roman Emperor on this one side. He's, of course, Catholic, but he, for political reasons, wants to subjugate Rome, wants to take Rome. And then, you know, but he doesn't have enough soldiers to do it. So he hires these German mercenary soldiers who are all Lutherans. And so when they come into the city, they not only, you know, rape and pillage and torture and murder, about 10,000 people die during that sack. I mean, just atrocities, true atrocities that I don't even like to repeat. They make me ill. You got to give us an example. It's so horrible that we'd have to, I think we'd have to mark this show explicit. Mm. That's how bad. Well, now I'm really intrigued. Maybe we should do this on a bonus episode. Yeah. Yeah. Or I can just tell you and then you can cut it out. Well, no, we have it's to bad. record. We have to record a Patreon <laughs> October bonus episode anyway, which of course, October is for the, the month of dead and death and blood and yeah i suppose we could talk about the sack of rome all right yeah let's do it let's do it so that'll be our sign up for patreon if you want to hear about atrocities (laughs) committed in rome in 1527 in graphic Um, detail yes okay yeah that's that's our most enticing yeah it really is um these soldiers went to various places around the city they were sacking the city so trying to get their hands on whatever they could take part of it was also they were not being paid they were supposed they were mercenary soldiers so therefore they were supposed to be paid by the holy roman emperor charles v but he wouldn't pay them and he said okay take roman state whatever you can get your hands on you can keep that's your payment and so that was one of the reasons it was so incredibly just brutal and uh and lawless it was lawless complete anyway this is what they did. One of the things that they did, they went into the Vatican, which we say the Vatican museums, but of course it wasn't a museum as we know it today. It wasn't a public museum at that time. And they went into the, the uh, what, what we call the Raphael rooms, which are the rooms that Raphael frescoed for Pope Julius II, who was the Pope back in like the 1510s around there. And so they'd been painted maybe 15 years before. One of the paintings in the stanza de la signatura, the room of the signature, which is, if you've been to the Vatican museums, you've probably been inside the stanza de la signatura. It's where the school of Athens is. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the school of Athens. We all studied it in school. On the other side of the wall, on the other side of the room is the dispute of the Holy Sacrament. So you've got the school of Athens being a very sort of secular work of art about philosophy and about learning and, and, and all of this. On the other side is is sort of the mirror of that, which is theology. So it's very it's very much about um, the dispute of the Holy Sacrament is, of course, the idea that you know it's the difference between what Catholics believe and what Protestants believes believe because Catholics believe in the transubstantiation. Catholics believe that the 
the host literally becomes, you know, the holy wafer literally becomes the the flesh of Christ, whereas Protestants believe that it's a representation. So this is the one they call the dispute because it's the one thing that Catholics and Protestants can't agree on. So it's sort of a celebration of the Catholic belief in the transubstantiation, right? And so you see, I don't know if it's the Pope in the painting, I can't remember who it is holding the holy wafer aloft. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a celebration of this idea. And one of these soldiers, these German mercenary soldiers with his sword carved the name Luther right across the painting. Mm. To us, that might not seem so shocking. Believe it. The stuff that I'm saving for the bonus episode is way more shocking than that. Um, <laughs> but historically and religiously speaking for those times, that is incredibly shocking that you would write Luther right onto the dispute of the Holy Sacrament. And on the other painting on the School of Athens, one of the books, because there's lots of books sort of lying around in that painting, one of them has the name Charles V carved with someone's sword on the spine of the book, but in, in German. Hmm. And, uh, and so that's a, I was here moment. Of course, it wasn't Charles V himself who did that, but they were working for Charles V. And in the Villa Farnesina, I can't remember exactly what it says, but I know it has a date on it. Mm-hmm. And there's some other words scrawled on there as well, but I just can't remember exactly what it says. Yeah. And it almost looks like they drew a little guy, like a little. Yeah. I feel like there is some kind of little drawing on there as well. Some very medieval looking drawing, very rudimentary drawing on there. Someone did with their sword while they were like passing through looking for stuff to steal. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to use a sword? I mean, I'm hoping it's a smaller sword that they were working with, <laughs> but let's imagine that they've got like the giant sword and you're trying to carve Charles V on the side of this little book. I feel like that would have taken forever. I mean, probably the swords are very sharp and maybe the frescoes <laughs> were not, you know, they were newer, so maybe they were softer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> think how it could have could have happened or maybe there were daggers could have been a dagger that certainly would have been I wasn't there no you weren't (laughs) yeah I (laughs) sometimes I like to picture these people doing this like who was this guy what was he working with it's interesting to think and it's funny like what's your view on that now how I mean Rome is plagued with graffiti new graffiti that people are putting up every day so is Seattle Uh, So, so many other places. What's your view on when graffiti becomes historic? I mean, at the time, you carve Luther across a master painting. It's not only shocking. It's like you're ruining something that's beautiful. But then you tack a few hundred years on top of it, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, well, it's a a point of interest, you know. Uh (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's the, it's the, it's the distance of time. It's the, it's how, why can we look at Rodrigo Borgia and sort of say, oh, he's my favorite Pope to, hey, oh, I love the Borgias. Whereas we, we can't look at someone like Hitler and say, oh, I love Hitler. You know what I mean? It's just, there's just not enough time. Not enough time has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think Rodrigo Borgia did as bad a stuff as Hitler did, but he was a bad guy, you know, he was a murderer, but yet so much time has passed that it's almost like the impact of whatever he did has faded so much because maybe there's no one alive who could even have a great, great grandparent who were, was, you know, affected by what he did anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's just so far away from us, I guess, Yeah. but it is an interesting question. 
It is an interesting because, question. Um, yeah. There's another place that has a lot of graffiti are the Holy Stairs in Rome. The staircase that was brought, it was in Jerusalem. It was the staircase to the Palace of Pontius Pilate. It's the stairs that, according to the tradition, Christ walked down after he had been condemned. And they were brought to Rome by, I believe, Emperor Constantine's mother. And they're now in um, the Sancta Sanctorum, right outside St. John in Lateran. And you can climb them. I don't know if you've done this. Um, people climb them on their knees. It's a type of pilgrimage. And I've done it. The first time I did it was a long time ago. And they were covered in wood, which is how they almost always are. But they were restored about a year or two ago. And they, after they finished restoring them, they had to take the wood off, clearly, to restore them. And before they put the wood back on, they said, okay, for one month, we're going to let people come and climb the stairs, like on the actual stairs themselves. And so I had to go back and do it again. It was incredible because there, the grooves in the steps were so deep. I'm talking like six inch grooves in a marble step. Mm. for the number of people who on their knees have climbed these steps. Now that alone is a kind of collective, we were here moment. Those, mm -hmm. those grooves could not have been made by themselves. You know, they were made by thousands and thousands and maybe millions of people climbing them, but there are, there is also graffiti on them, old graffiti, you know, because I'm, nobody would have the chance to carve those stairs now with all the guards watching, there wouldn't be time. We're not talking about spray cans. It's like there's somebody carved them with some kind of instrument. So, you know, they're old, but it, you know, it does make you think, you know, these people, all these people, all these faithful people wanted to leave their mark. You know, whether that is right or wrong, they felt that they needed to do that. Well, what do you think? Do you think it is wrong? I mean, I do think it is wrong, but First of all, we have our sort of more modern mentality today. Um, that's a more preservational mentality. You preserve things, you don't ruin them. You know, it's the same way we look at archaeology. You don't take an archaeological site and say, okay, let's fix it up. Let's like put in, there's only two columns left. Let's put in five more columns. So it looks like it used to look, which is what they did in the 1700s or what they did in the 1500s was just take it all away. Oh, we need marble for our palace. So let's just take this. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the same kind of, attitude towards things that were older than themselves that we have now. So, you know, you can't put your modern sensibilities on people who were living hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Well, it's all very interesting. <laughs> and I, uh, I would love to hear from our listeners if they have left a piece of themselves somewhere and whether or not they think in hindsight, it was a good or not a good idea to do. We should leave it there, but that was, <laughs> be sure to come join us over on the Patreon to hear how we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment with all the horrific details of the sack of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> For as little as $5 a month, there's two bonus episodes every single month and in the month of October, I guess that's how we're getting started. So <laughs> just for five euros a month, you can have nightmares for the entire month. <laughs> I mean, we're I all looking for something scary, right? <laughs> all right so yeah there are links in the show notes if you want to donate and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks join us again bye you could sponsor this show 
and reach educated, curious, and compassionate listeners all over the world. Our listeners are a remarkable, diverse, and engaged group of people that I am so continually impressed by. Visit thebittersweetlife.net and click support to get the conversation started. Thank you.